The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. A young man is given a warning from aliens. And it's time to spread the message by any means necessary. And then we take a look at an unusual set of stones that are being found throughout Europe warning of a possible catastrophe. And finally, we take another look at the legendary Bigfoot. But we're not looking at a Bigfoot, that big old smelly, hairy guy walking around in the woods. No, no, no. We're looking at the Bigfoot, the big old smelly guy walking around in the woods, wearing clothes, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a lot of stuff to cover today, so we're going to jump right into it. Put on your jumping shoes and follow me down the jumping place. I think the analogy didn't really work, but anyways, there is a jumping place and we both jump into it. And we land in the year 2014. And there we meet a man named David Oxenrider. Now, regardless of whatever else happens over the course of this story that's alleged, this is an ongoing criminal trial. Alleged, alleged, I have to keep saying that. Well, I won't keep saying it, but there you go. Despite what happens with this guy, you got to give him credit for having the last name of Oxenrider. That's a pretty dope name. That's a pretty dope name. Definitely sounds like a Lord of the Rings character. I guess they wouldn't, I guess they wouldn't call him Oxes. They'd call him something cooler over there, but... Oxen Rider. It reminds me of like Oakenshield. It reminds me of something. You know, I've always had my own personal conspiracy theory. Women marry men. You know, it's so funny because the other day I was saying, you know, only ten percent of my audience is women. I was telling Lana that, and she goes, "That's that's like statistically impossible." I was like, "Yeah, I know." There's towns in Alaska that have a higher percentage of women than who listen to this show, and she goes, well, "Do you say anything bad about women?" And I kind of stood there and thought for a second and I was like no not really that being said that being said I have my own personal conspiracy theory about this I think women choose people with good last names and you may go that's not a that's not a super that's not like a super controversial conspiracy theory I mean and maybe it isn't but I think that like a woman can meet the man of her dreams but if his last name is Fartknocker she's not going to marry that guy this dude's not getting married this guy's not getting married anytime soon, allegedly, which is unfortunate that there won't be more oxen riders in the gene pool. But yeah, I wonder if women actually are like, I love you, honey, but your last name sucks. It's literally sucks, and I'm not going to be known as a Sarah sucks for the rest of my life. So anyways, back to <laughs> the point of the story. David Oxenrider, in 2014, aliens visit him, and the aliens deliver this message to him. They say, David Oxenrider. Beep, bop, boop, boop, boop. Alien noises in the background. David. Humanity is going to kill themselves. They have to start being good people. Beep, bop, boop, 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 doo, doo, doo. And he's like, well, how am I supposed to tell people that? The aliens are like, silence! You've been chosen as a messenger. You have to figure out a way to spread our message. And David goes, well, what if I can't tell people to start being nice to each other? What if I can't tell people to stop heading down this destructive path? And the alien goes, simple. 
Mr. Oxenrider. We will destroy you with a, quote, nuclear laser beam, unquote. David goes, that's weird. Why did you, quote, unquote, your own phrase? Aliens like, silence! Go tell people we're going to blow them up with a nuclear laser beam unless they start being good to each other. And they drop him back off. Now, the details to his actual visitation are pretty limited right now. We're not getting a lot of information of, like, where the aliens abducted him or if he was on their ship. Or if he was, like, just sitting in a Starbucks and they walked in and just sat down at a table and they had this conversation while they were waiting for their lattes. Anyways, he goes around telling people that the aliens told him that if we don't start being excellent to each other, they're going to destroy us. And people start telling him he's crazy. And he goes, allegedly, you think I'm crazy. I'll show you who's crazy. Not me. You're crazy for being evil. I'm trying to save you from the aliens. And everyone's just like, bro, calm down. He's like, you want me to calm down? I'll show you calm down. And they're like, just start leaving at that point. Riding their oxens away from him. He's like, no, that's my namesake. You want me to show you oxen riding? I'll show you. Anyways, so David, fast forward to June 23rd, 2019. Five years later. From that first story, but only a couple weeks previous to today. We're in the town of Myerstown, Pennsylvania. Which isn't where he's from. He traveled to Myerstown, Pennsylvania to do this. Allegedly. And that's the last time I'm going to say allegedly. The rest of the stuff is all alleged. He's 29 years old. He goes to the Byers House Hotel. Which is like a hotel and a restaurant. It was kind of complicated. don't know why you would name a hotel a house. But anyways, Byers House Hotel in Myerstown, Pennsylvania. David Oxenrider gets a room, and he goes to the hotel. At some point, he walks up to the hotel manager. He's having a casual conversation with this hotel manager, and he says, Hey, I really like this place. It's great. I really love the decor. There's lots of room for my ox. He points out, there's nothing out there. Hotel manager's like, oh, this guy's a little weird. And David keeps talking to the hotel manager, and he's like, Oh, you know, I didn't notice something, but there's a bomb in my room. Oh, oh, but I shouldn't have brought that up because I built the bomb. So it wasn't there from the previous person. So, And then I was wondering if I could get some more of those little tiny soaps. I actually collect those from hotels. I collect those little tiny soaps. And the hotel manager's like, whoa, whoa, Did you say there was a bomb in your room? That you built a bomb? And David goes, yeah. Yeah, is that a problem? I'm like, I need it. I need the bomb to warn people that aliens are going to come and blow us up with a laser beam. Now, the hotel manager, and in, in, there are certain people who have jobs, and they their main concern is that job. Like, that's all they care about. So this hotel manager looks at him and says, get the bomb out of the building. Like, he's not immediately like, oh, okay, sir. Turns around and calls the cops. He's not immediately, like, running from the building. His first concern is the management of the hotel. That is why he's a hotel manager. His first thing is, please get the bomb out of the building. Not defuse it. Not turn yourself in. Get it out of my building. I imagine him like an uptight hotel manager from like the sweet life of Zach and Cody. So anyways, he does. David's like, oh, oh yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, that's cool, man. It's, I didn't see a no bomb sign outside of your hotel. I, I, I didn't smoke. The hotel manager's like, just get it out of here. And there's a bunch of twins running around on skateboards on third floor, so be careful. They'll probably knock the bomb out of your hands. So David goes upstairs, and he navigates Zach and Cody, and he gets the bomb, and he walks through the lobby. (laughs) Hotel manager's watching this guy do this with his homemade bomb. He goes, and he just goes outside and sets it next to a dumpster outside the hotel, and then walks back into the hotel. It's like, hey, 
kind of like waves to the hotel manager like, it's cool, man. It's cool. You should get a no bomb sign out there. Sorry for the confusion. Goes upstairs. The hotel manager at this point is like, okay, I have managed that part of the part of the problem. Now it's time to call the cops. So he calls the cops and the cops show up and they kind of split up. Some of them go to the dumpster. It's a real active bomb. Wasn't a dud. And they start disarming it. And the other cops go into the hotel and arrest David Oxenrider. And they ask, is that your bomb out there? He's like, oh, yeah. You're not supposed to put bombs out there? I didn't see a no bomb sign by the dumpster. I thought it was... Cops are like, okay, sir, turn around. And they ask him over the course of interrogation, why did you build the bomb? And he goes, oh, I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you asked. Aliens are going to blow us up with a nuclear laser beam, blah, 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 blah. So he, he's been arrested now. And he's being charged with multiple crimes, but the most serious one is construction of a weapon of mass destruction. That alone in the state of Pennsylvania is a first-degree felony, so he's facing just on that charge 10 to 20 years in prison for building a bomb. Because aliens... Well, technically, to be fair, the aliens didn't tell him to build a bomb. You imagine those aliens are just like, oh my god, we have to find another messenger. Could it be you? Is they're pointing at you? They're pointing directly at you right at the camera. Could you be the next one the aliens are going to visit to give you a stupid plan? I think this story is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, it involves aliens and bombs. I mean, that's about as interesting as things can get. But two, imagine if aliens came down to you right now. They did point directly at you and you're like, me? They're like, yes. And they told you to spread this message that you're the message giver. You're the messenger. That's the word I'm looking for. That you have to warn the world that if they don't start being nice, they're going to get destroyed. You would feel completely helpless. Unless you were a famous celebrity, unless you were Gordon Ramsay or Tom Hanks or something like that, you would feel quite helpless. Because how are you going to let 7 billion plus people know the alien's message? In an odd way, he was successful because we know of this now. So his message did get out. He might be a little self-satisfied that he got it across. But no one was hurt. Over the course of the story, except for him. And it, it was most likely a delusion. Most likely aliens didn't visit him and, and give him this warning. But if they did, and you had a set amount of time to tell the story, he didn't. It took him five years to even build the bomb. But if you, if aliens did come to you and say, you have to change the course of humanity, how would you go about it? How would you go about it? I think it was kind of messed up for the aliens to put him in that position in the first place. But now, if he's found guilty of these charges, he's facing 10 years minimum in prison because of it. So, nice job, alien overlords. You got your messenger thrown in prison. Well, I guess it could be worse. The last time someone sent a messenger to planet, he got crucified. So, I guess the aliens are a bit better off than the last guy who tried to save humanity. Let's go ahead and move on to our next story here. Now, our next story is an interesting one. It's kind of a short one, but I find it pretty fascinating. What's happening is in Central Europe. In all these countries in Central Europe, you're seeing them in Germany, you're seeing them in Czechia, Czechia, it's not Czechoslovakia, it might have been like they broke in half, because that's only half the name, but Czech, Czechia, and it follows the Elbe River, and I know I can already hear the people typing that I'm mispronouncing Elbe River, but anyways, the Elbe River, running through Central Europe, they're starting to find these stones, these big giant stones, now, What's happening, it's not like they're just stumbling across these 500-year-old stones that are, like, magically appearing, because these things were previously underwater. But as the water level has been dropping in Central Europe, these stones are starting to become visible. One of them says, If you see me, weep. 
People are like, that's pretty ominous. I'm just out on a fun Sunday stroll on the beach with my family. And I see this rock. If you see me, weep. There's another one that says, if you will see this stone, so you will weep. So shallow the water was in the year 1417. And another one. We cried, we cry, and you will cry. Dun, dun, dun. And, and what, what? <laughs> I'm not making fun of these people suffering, but that's a little, that's a little edgelord, really. Who wrote this? Like, is this the equivalent of like medieval hot topic emo teens? They're like, yes, father, I will water the crops, but then I'm going out to the river to write my poetry on rocks. And that rhymed too. And the father's like, just go do something, you loser. It wasn't emo teen, medieval emo teens writing these. Great band name, but it was back when the river was really, really low. People were inscribing on, basically they were water markers. Because when the water was that low before, they're having problems with watering their crops and fishing and all sorts of stuff. Boats were constantly running aground. I don't know if that last part's true, but the fact is there was less water in the river that it caused hardship for all the communities along the river. So they basically did then, like, when the water was that low, they carved in this rock, and with the hope that they would eventually be covered up and society would return to normal. And it did. But as the water levels have dropped again, these rocks, they're known as hunger stones, are beginning to become visible again throughout Central Europe. But never one to pass up a good, what's the, what's the saying? Never let a good crisis go to waste. Here's one of these hunger stones. This was my favorite one. The, the We cried, we cry, and you will cry. It's pretty dope. That should be like a movie tagline. But this one I love. There's a rock amid all these other hunger stones spread throughout Europe. There's this one rock that says this. Don't cry, girl. Don't fret. When it's dry, just spray your field wet. And people are like, what? Now, from years, from me watching Porky's, watching watching risque stuff, Rodney Dangerfield movies, there's something oddly sexual about that one. It could just be the fact that the word wet is in it, and my mind is that broken. But this particular rock isn't a sexual joke. It's not like, I get no respect. The water level's so low, can't catch fish, but my wife can still catch gonorrhea. Oh, what a what a horrible world. <laughs> anyways, anyways. I don't like it just because it reminds me of those jokes. I like this stone because they know, they have an idea of who wrote this one. A dude most likely made that one who was actually like, ran a pump company. And he was trying to sell more water pumps. That's the theory behind that one. That one was some guy had manufactured a plumbing set or something that could pipe water in from the river to your farm. And that he made that saying, ah, don't worry about it. Just spray it. Spray it at Uncle Lou's crazy spray emporium. And just a picture of a hot chick with a wet t-shirt. What if they had wet t-shirt contests back then? They had like the blouses, right? They all wore the, like those white black things. <laughs> they had more important things <laughs> to worry about. Their, their economy was dying. But you figure even when, that would make you even more likely you want to see a girl totally wet. Because you don't see water every day now. The river's lower. So you would want water, like, I guess, again, you wouldn't waste it. But you can invite all the women to your farm and throw water on them. Win-win. The water that doesn't go on their clothes lands in the crops. That they're sanding in. They're just kick, kicking all your seeds over. You get a sexy, sexy showcase. And your crops get watered. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why I only have 10% female listenership. 
Let's go ahead and move on to our last story of the episode. Now, this story was sent to us by our resident Bigfoot expert, the man who loves Bigfoot even more than Bigfoot's mama loves him. Him being the Bigfoot, not this guy, Bennett. Bennett. Now, you'll remember Bennett actually recommended a bunch of Bigfoot stories last season. And he emailed me again, and he goes, hey, man, I don't know why I emailed you all those Bigfoot stories, because I don't even really like Bigfoot that much. But I just ran into all of them at the same time. You don't have to lie to what's been it. Everyone has a passion in life. I have a passion for medieval wet t-shirt contests. You have a passion for Bigfoot. So just be you, Bennett. But no, joking, joking. He does, he did recommend this other Bigfoot story, and I always appreciate these recommendations. This is an interesting one. We know about Bigfoots. For the most part. They're, they're probably the most well-known cryptid out there. You vampires, werewolves, probably above it. So technically they're not, but they're they're in the top five biggest cryptids of all time. You'd have werewolves, vampires, Bigfoots, aliens, I think kind of counts as a cryptid. And then, I don't know, something else, something else. So we got the top four, top four big cryptids out there and Bigfoot's one of them. So we know who Bigfoot is. We don't need a huge introduction to him. But there's a particular subset of Bigfoot that has people really questioning the origins of the phenomenon. Has me questioning the origins of the phenomenon, definitely. Let's go to northwestern America, my area where I live. But we're going way, way, way back in time. And the natives had stories of a creature up here known as the Nakani, which was, by all accounts, a Bigfoot-esque creature. Tall, covered with hair. Red or yellow eyes, those are very noticeable. A black face, like a, a well, you, you guys know what the words black and face mean, but he had a black face, had red or yellow eyes, long arms, clawed hands. Those are pretty generic descriptors of a Bigfoot-type creature. Um, high-pitched whistle or loud noise when it's like yelling, makes these loud noises that kind of echo through the forest. Smells disgusting, very, very common. They can hypnotize you and kidnap women and children. Th- those are all... If I didn't tell you that was something called the Nakani, you would just say, that's a Bigfoot that I'm talking about. But the th- interesting thing about the Nakani, and it is a Bigfoot, that is a Bigfoot. It's just a regional version of it, an older version before the name Bigfoot showed up. But the reason why I wanted to highlight this particular named one is because the natives had these stories that, sure, he does all the stuff a typical Bigfoot does, but this one doesn't leave big footprints when it walks. It leaves big shoe prints. See, the Nakani is known for wearing footwear. Very fashionable. Wore scarves a lot of times. Wore moose skin. They'd kill moose, meese, and skin them, drape them over their shoulders. They usually also wielded clubs or threw rocks as weapons. So you could say it was basic. Bigfoots are kind of seen as like a big old dumb type of uh, predator that can kind of turn invisible. Maybe they're kind of thoughtful like Harry and the Hendersons, but if you gave them a fork, and put them near an outlet, they're going to kill themselves. Like, they're kind of stupid. They're like monkey dumb. These ones were far more civilized. And we've seen stories of civilized Bigfoot-type creatures around the world. Bigfoot's kind of the dummy. Bigfoot's kind of the inbred cousin of the Bigfoot world. But to its credit, it hasn't been caught. So it's either a little bit smarter than I'm giving it credit for, or it doesn't exist at all. But anyway, so let's go back to this. So they had in the Native Americans up in the Northwest you'd see these stories of the Nakani. So it was a Bigfoot creature, but it also wore clothes. And throughout the 1960s and 70s, you would occasionally hear stories of people 
running into a police station. Be like, oh my god, officer, you won't believe what just happened. Me and my girlfriend are up in the woods. And he's like, the police officer's like, tell me more. And he's like, no, 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 nothing sexy happened. But anyways, anyways, we were running. We were like up there doing wood stuff up in the woods. And the officer's like, tell me more. And he's like, just listen to my story, damn you. We're up in the woods. We're just running around. And this creature came out of the woods. And it was wearing a plaid shirt and like ripped jeans. And the officer's like, that's stupid. We all know that Bigfoot doesn't wear clothes. But you would see these stories pop up from time to time in the 1960s and 1970s, which is interesting because that's when the Bigfoot myth was really first catching the consciousness of America. And one thing I've learned from doing this show or just researching this stuff in general, if you want the really interesting stories of cryptids and alien encounters, the farther you look back, the weirder they are. Because nowadays, people know what a Bigfoot is and how it acts for the most part. So if someone says, I walked into the woods and I didn't know, and I heard a noise behind me and I turned and I saw like this giant black shadow moving behind me, growled, growling at me. And I took a step back and heard a branch break and I smelled the worst smell ever. And then it went off in another direction. A Bigfoot researcher or people who are like into the phenomenon will be like, that was a Bigfoot. That was a Bigfoot because that confirms to everything we know about Bigfoots. But if that same person said I was sitting there, I saw this big shadow, and then it came around the corner, and it was wearing a flannel shirt and pants, and it was a big hairy guy, and I looked right in his eyes, and I could tell he was eight feet tall. Most of the time, people are going to go, uh, that doesn't conform to what we know about Bigfoots. So when we look at early stories of this stuff, they tend to be more bizarre, because even the person who experiences it, or make again, just making it up, will conform to the known instances of it being told before. So, we don't hear of Bigfoots wearing clothes anymore. But back when the phenomenon was first starting, people were basically telling these experiences and they were all getting lumped in together with every other quote-unquote reputable Bigfoot experience. Because as of today, when you tell people that Bigfoots are wearing clothes, I'll get you to the answer that pops up. One of the Bigfoot researchers has an answer for what's going on. But throughout the 1960s and 70s, these things were being seen. We even have one in the 1980s. We have a Bigfoot sighting in Colorado. There was a couple in Navajo territory in Colorado. And they said a large hairy humanoid jumped on the top of their car and it was wearing a blue checkered shirt, like a lumberjack shirt, plaid, and long pants, long torn pants. 1950s. In the 1950s, this one anonymous girl, so again, take it or leave it, this story may be made up or not, but there is a girl, anonymous girl, And uh, she was telling the story to a noted Bigfoot authority, Ivan T. Sanderson. So she says she was, again, we don't have an age for this and it just takes place in California. It's quite vague. But this little girl says she was walking through a meadow with her family. They're on a camping trip. And she heard someone behind her, right? And I looked down in my notes and I (laughs) I think this detail is so funny. But this girl's walking through the brush and she hears someone behind her and she turns around. She thinks it's her brother behind her. And as she's turning around, she goes, All right, stinker, I know you're there. And when I read that, I was like, Oh, so I knew what was coming. I, I figured a Bigfoot was behind her. But I was like, When's the last time you heard someone call someone else a stinker? That's such an adorable insult. But to a little kid, that's like super, they're like, Oh, mom, she called me a stinker and I don't stink, do I? And the mom's like, No, you don't stink, honey. And trying not to, trying to breathe through her mouth. But I just love that, a little kid calling another kid a stinker. Anyways, she turns around, wasn't her brother, 
what she describes as a seven to eight foot tall creature. All of the hallmarks of a Bigfoot, like I described earlier, but this one was wearing clothes. The clothes were barely covering it. They were really tattered off of this thing, but it was definitely had clothes on at some point. Ripped shirt, remnants of pants, and then she runs back to the campground and she tells everyone at the campground what she saw. And then she goes on to say that no one believed her and they finished the camping trip, which I fucking I find hilarious. Did you have this little girl who saw this giant monster in the woods and she runs back? She's like, Mom, Dad, stinker. There was a giant monster in the woods and he's wearing this tattered clothing. He totally freaked me out. Let's leave. Let's leave. And they basically made her stay the whole weekend as I imagine she was petrified in her tent the whole time, afraid that this creature would come back. But so there are these two Bigfoot experts. And this is I was reading this an article about these things. And there are these two Bigfoot experts. And this was their... So this was their reasoning why these stories exist. Because again, it's not typical Bigfoot stuff. So you have to figure out a reason why all the other Bigfoot stories are real. But these stories that are aberrations, you have to explain. Even though technically none of it should really be able to be explained because it's unexplained. That's why it's interesting and weird. But anyways, it doesn't conform to your Bigfoot experience. So we have to come up with a reason why it's real. So they either have to figure out a way to make it conform to existing Bigfoot stories or dismiss them out of hand. And this is their logic behind that. The, this is a quote here. The only, this is what they say, the only explanation that occurs to us is that this was a freak sighting, which technically all Bigfoot are freak sightings because they're freaks. But again, they're saying this one, they're, they're talking specifically about the little girl in California, was a quote freak sighting. That the Bigfoot had found the old clothes somewhere, and having seen humans dressed in clothes, decided to copy them. The fact that the clothes barely covered him does suggest that they once had a smaller human owner. So, because it doesn't conform to your idea of how a Bigfoot should act, you have to say, this is the only reason why. This is the only explanation. But it's not the only explanation. It's not. There's another explanation. And I touched on this briefly. On episode 181, which was, Are Aliens Turning Humans Into Bigfoots? So you know where I'm going with this. If you were a human wearing lumberjack clothes, and you were shifted, you were turned into an eight-foot-tall creature, guess what? You're barely going to have any clothes left on you. So what is a more rational explanation for this utter nonsensical story? That a human was transformed into a Bigfoot. And as he's getting taller, as he's getting more muscular and beastly, his clothes are starting to shred and rip and tear. And then just throughout his time in the wilderness walking around scaring kids, they're just going to rot away just like clothes do when you don't wash them. Or that an eight-foot-tall monster saw a six-foot-tall dude's jacket laying in the ground and goes, Me like, me fit into this rip. Oh, no, try other arm rip. Oh, so snug better put on these pants this might work better Ugh. what's more like it's it's occam's razor for a ridiculous scenario if you accept the idea that the girl's telling the truth or that any of these stories of these creatures wearing clothes are true either someone turned into a bigfoot with their existing clothes on or a bigfoot saw tiny people clothes tried putting them on put on enough successfully that they were recognizable on a on a form wasn't like he just had the shirt draped over his shoulder. Had his both arms in it. What's more likely? The Bigfoot phenomenon is fascinating to me. Because it's one of those things that people are so 
entrenched in. You see it a little bit with ghosts and a little bit with aliens. But generally, if someone says, I believe in ghosts, but I've never seen one. I've just felt their presence. I don't know if they can actually walk down the hallway wearing clothes and stuff like that. Another ghost person, not a physical ghost, but another ghost expert will say, well, there is a thing that's called a poltergeist. Or there are people who never really see a ghost, but they feel like the emotional energy from them and stuff like that. There's a lot of wiggle room with ghosts. Same thing with aliens. You could have two people. One person say, I saw a gray alien, and the other person say, I saw a reptile alien. And they're both going to be able to discuss their experiences together. Some people seen aliens zipping around in the sky. Some people have been abducted. Some people believe that they're here to bring peace to Earth. All those people can have conversations about them. Because the idea is, is that there's multiple alien races out there. There's very few people who say there's only one alien race, and it's this kind. And everything else is made up. For the most part, everyone can kind of go back and forth and say, well, yeah, the greys are real, but I saw reptilian. Reptilians are more warlike, and this Pleiadians are more peaceful. So the narrative is very malleable. Bigfoot stories are not. Bigfoot stories, for as ridiculous as the idea sounds, that, that in the year 2019, a physical beast can exist that is an actual biological entity that has never been found that has never, none of their skeletons have been found, that's the narrative you're going with. Because you do have a hard break in the Bigfoot community. Most Bigfoot enthusiasts believe that it is a biological creature that humans have never found. And then you have a small subset of people who go, well, it's probably more of like a nature spirit or some sort of interdimensional creature. And they'll be like, nah, he just has like camouflage abilities and they're smart enough to cover up their dead, but they're not smart enough to keep leaving footprints everywhere. So the the biological group of them really have a hard time explaining away why we never find their bones, but we find quote unquote supposed evidence of them all the time. While the ones who believe that it's some sort of paranormal-esque entity or alien type entity They're not getting the Bigfoot shows. They're not getting the shows on TLC or Discovery Channel or whoever makes that garbage. They're not getting those shows where they're like, oh, we're going to go wrestle us up some Bigfoot. We're going to shoot him in the brains and bring him back. We're going to do it live on television. Not this season or next season. Probably not before the show's over, but we're going to do it eventually. So you don't hear that side of it. I don't know. People always ask. Bigfoot is the question I get asked the most from doing the show. They go, do you believe in Bigfoot? My answer is always the same. I kind of shrug and go, if they found him, I wouldn't be shocked, but I'm not going to go out looking for him. That's always my answer for the Bigfoot story. It's not one of those things that I dismiss out of hand, but I'm not super like into it either. But I do dismiss the fact that it being a biological entity, like for the most part, out of hand. I don't think it's a creature that has like a mating cycle and a life cycle and just like a normal animal on the planet earth i don't believe that for a second i believe if they're if they are out there there's an other supernatural component to them and my theory is is that bigfoots the reason why they are quite hard to find the reason why they're relatively rare is i believe that bigfoots actually used to be humans that were transformed into bigfoots and you're like, Jason, that's super stupid. And I'm like, it is. It's just as dumb, though, as any other Bigfoot theory out there. And the fact is, is that we've had multiple accounts of Bigfoots wearing clothes. 
They're not super popular because they don't fit the normal narrative. doesn't fit the normal narrative. You push it out of the mainstream. And in that episode, episode 181, Are Aliens Turning Big People Into Bigfoots? There was a man who was like shot by an alien beam or something like that. And he started going crazy and started ripping out his clothes and running around going, ah, ah, turning into a monster. And he said, when I got hit with the beam, I saw visions of the end of the world. And it was driving him mad. And he was trying to run into the forest and his friends kind of held him down. Is it possible that humans are being transformed into Bigfoots? It's as possible as there being a Bigfoot to begin with. It's really as possible. It would explain a lot of details about it. And the thing is, at the end of the day, Bigfoot isn't scary. Which I think is a big minus for him as a legend. As like a legend over time. Werewolves and vampires and aliens are scary. Because we just know they're so powerful. There's something terrifying about that. Ghosts are scary because they're unexplained and they're us when we're dead. But even if they're not, they're like interfering with our lives. Bigfoots are just kind of lame in general. They're not very scary creatures. They just kind of pop up and you smell them and you run away. But the idea that these creatures walking through the wilderness around the world used to be humans that were shapeshift against their will by some otherworldly force, that's terrifying. It's something creepy about the fact that every time they find a Bigfoot print in the middle of the woods, or a little girl turns around and she sees a giant monster standing behind her, that that's actually a human that is trapped. That's actually a formerly civilized person that's slowly growing more monstrous every single day. It's being a prisoner inside of a body that is not your own. So when you hear those loud growls late at night when you're camping with your buddies and people start talking about Bigfoot stories or stuff they saw on TLC, how they know how to go squatching, is that what it's called? Just imagine that that noise out in the woods could not be coming from a mythical beast or a cryptid that's never been caught, but it could be coming from a human in the throes of change. As bones break and grow longer, as skin grows tight against new muscle and fangs replace the teeth they were born with, those noises echoing through the forest at night could be from somebody who was just like you a few days earlier, with hopes and dreams, friends and family. But now they're simply a beast, destined to roam the woods forever. And the only thing that gives you a clue that they used to be human is the few scraps of rotted clothing still clinging to their fur. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>